Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Well, it's so much fun. Again, when you're out of breath, when the worship leader's out of breath at the start of a worship service, that's a lot of fun. And how fun was it to see those kids come in here? You know, we, we've got people that have been around here for some of you, maybe this is your first week. We also have people who have been around here for seven years. We've got some faces we haven't seen for a while. Good to see you guys. Um, and it is so fun, you know, just on some very uh, surface levels to, to see some of the people who were kids when we started now leading the kids. Isn't that fun? I think it was Jonah and Anna and all that. It, just, it was just a blast to see that. But, but even beyond that, I love Palm Sunday. I was talking to Langs about that earlier. I just, I love it. I, I, there's something about seeing these kids hold these branches in their hands and what they're doing, whether they know it or not, they're commemorating an actual event. They're not just doing some kind of symbolic thing. They are commemorating a day in history when Jesus of Nazareth rode into Jerusalem and it was just five days before he was executed by the Roman government. These are all historical facts. And, and we were commemorating that today. And we have four witnesses that testify to the words that were spoken that day. We sometimes forget if you grew up and you're familiar with the Bible, we sometimes forget that the Bible, it is a collection of individual documents. And two of these witnesses were eyewitness accounts and two of them are people who interviewed eyewitnesses. And look at what they said was being said about Jesus on that day. And this is really important for where we're going to go later. So take a look at these words. Try to remember the words that were spoken if you're not already familiar with them. One of the witnesses said that, that people were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And, and he was there, possibly. Yeah, he was there. Matthew was there. Mark was, was a, he interviewed eyewitnesses, possibly Peter, we think. Mark's testimony says they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then there's Luke who did a careful investigation. He, he, heard, he records the people saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then you've got John who was there who said, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. So these people were saying these things about Jesus. When Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, now, let me throw a curveball your way if you're not familiar with the scriptures here. For the last five weeks, we've been looking at another first century document, a letter, arguably the most influential letter ever written. Called the, we call it the Book of Romans today. If this testimony is true, and the passage that we're going to look at from Romans 13 today is true, they appear to be contradicting each other. In fact, I'd encourage you to write this down in your notes. And this is more than like a Bible trivia question. This, this matters. Do Jesus' actions on Palm Sunday contradict Paul's instructions in Romans 13? Now, this isn't like a, a seminary question on a test that, is, that sometimes feels just like an academic exercise. This is a question that matters. It matters, one, because does the Bible contradict itself? Skeptics say that all the time. And two, it matters because there are very practical applications for our, our lives. And we're going to get to that here in a second. But let's look at the text first that we're going to be looking at today. Romans 13, 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to this one. And I would encourage you to leave your Bibles open or on with your button or whatever it is that you do. Um, 
because we're going to be looking at this passage and we're going to look at what comes before it and, and, and we're going to be looking at it in context because that's what really matters. I want to let you know too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. I know you can download them for your devices, but if you like a hard copy, that's what the stack on that table is for. That's what the stack on that table is for. They're there for you. Please take one as a, as a, as a gift. All right, this is Romans chapter 13. Again, this is another first century document. Uh, Romans 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. And in, they appear to contradict what we just saw. Here's what it says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant, remember that word, he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant, there's that word again, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay all to what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. This message has been brought to you by the IRS this morning. <laughs> no, no. All right. Again, many of you who've studied the word, you know why it appears to be a contradiction, at least on the surface. And if you had two Bibles, I'd encourage you to open to this one that we just looked at on your left, and then on your right, open to any one of those Palm Sunday passages. And they appear to be in conflict with one another because what Jesus did on Palm Sunday was anything but civil obedience. It was anything but submitting to the Roman authorities. When the first Palm Sunday occurred, Jerusalem was Jerusalem was under the control of whom? The Roman Empire. And here comes Jesus and his processional in full view of the Roman authorities. He rides into Jerusalem for the Passover, which is the time when the Messiah, the, the Jewish Savior, was supposed to come. So here he comes at that time. Jesus enters Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna. Hosanna, it was a war cry. It meant, save us, save us now. So, so people are shouting that, right? And people were waving palm branches. Palm branches, that was a nationalistic symbol. And it wasn't for Rome. Who was it for? Israel. So they're waving the national symbol of Israel as Jesus is coming and they're saying he's the king. These are not the actions of someone who's conforming to the desires of the governing authorities. And then when the religious leaders in the crowd, they said to Jesus, Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. What did Jesus say? He said, I tell you the truth. If these remain silent, even the stones will cry out. Wow. Well, last week, we looked at Romans 10.9. And here's another passage. This time, it's not from another testimony. This is in the same letter, right? We just wrote, read from Romans 13. Let's read from Romans 10.9. Last week, we looked at Romans 10.9. Here's another passage. 
again, same letter, it appears also to contradict what it says in Romans 13. Here's what it says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why does this appear to contradict Romans 13? Because who are you supposed to say is Lord if you live in that place at that time? Caesar. You're supposed to say Caesar is Lord. And they're saying Jesus is Lord. He's the king. That's not just disobedience. That's treason. That is treason against Rome. So Romans 10.9 goes way beyond civil disobedience. It is a direct challenge to Rome's ultimate authority. How in the world do you reconcile these two texts? Well, we faced a similar challenge last week. Actually, I ducked it. I went down to Florida and I turned it over to Brandon. You know, it was a similar challenge last week. It was a tough challenge. No softballs, man. This is, we, we looked at Romans 10 and Romans 9. They appear to contradict each other. Romans 10, 9, if you look at it on the surface, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, who will be saved. It looks like it's you, right, who chooses to follow Christ. Sure what it looks like on the surface. Well, before you ever get to Romans 10, you've got Romans 9. In Romans 9, it appears to say that it is God who chooses us. That's why we, we use this sign. If, if you're just joining us for, for this series, we have all these signs behind us. Each one of these represents one of the weeks that we've been working on. Last week's sign was this two-way directional sign. And we did that on purpose because it appears as though Romans 10.9 and Romans chapter 9, and I would say 11 and the rest of it, it appears as though these things are in tension with one another. They maybe are even at odds. Like that on one side, you've got God choosing us, and then on the other side, you've got us choosing God. Well, which is it? Because how, how could it possibly be both. Brandon did a great job last week of articulating there's a continuity if you read them in context. There's not a conflict. There's a continuity. Here it is. God saves and God saves. It always has been that way. It always will be that way. It was that way for the nation of Israel. It will be that way for individuals. It is God who saves. And for those with eyes to see, as you read scriptures in context, there is a marvelous continuity. Even between things as crazy as how could God be one, how could God be three? There's a brilliant, a, 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 a mind-stretching continuity. And may I present to you this morning, Romans 10 is not in conflict with Romans 13. May I present to you this morning, Palm Sunday is not in conflict with Romans 13. May I present to you this morning that there is a continuity here. And I want to try to unpack that a little bit. And again, talk about the implications because they are huge. Let's start with this. If, we, if you start to just explore Romans 13, even just a little bit, you just go a little to the right, a little to the left, you start to see that civil obedience is not a standalone absolute. And I'd encourage you to write that down in your notes. A Nazi sympathizer could not have stood before God and said, hey, I was just following scripture. I was just looking the other way because you said you established these nations, right? Someone who's just blindly following orders from ISIS cannot stand before God and say, well, hey, your own text here says I was supposed to follow orders from the government. You, you don't have that excuse. You, you can't just blindly. It's not an absolute as you look at it in context. And what does it look like in context? We'll just back up to verse to chapter 12. I encourage you to write this in your notes. This is how brilliant I am to uh, come up with these things. Romans 13 follows what? 
Romans 12, you know, it, it's, sometimes it's not rocket science at all. Romans 13 follows Romans 12. So let's look at what Romans 12 says. What is it that leads into Romans 13? What's Paul getting at when he presents this principle rather than an absolute? What is he getting at? Well, here we go. Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, open up. Romans 12, starting with verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Look what it says next. Don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God in any given moment, his good, acceptable, and perfect and pleasing will. This is a key transition in the book of Romans, and it comes right before Romans 13. It is a key transition. That word, therefore, is a turning point in Romans. Up until that point, in fact, this point is the summary, you could say, of everything, of the now what, of everything that's come before, the first 11 chapters, where Paul makes the point, all of us have sinned. Paul makes the point, the wages of sin is death. Paul makes the point that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now Paul asks, hey, in light of God's great mercy, how can we not offer ourselves up willingly, fully, completely as a living sacrifice. Then what follows, if you have your Bibles, just look. I am not making this stuff up. Just look at what comes next. After Romans 12, 2, it's now example after example after example after example. Here's what this looks like in real life, you guys. You got the principle? Submit your whole self fully? Okay, let me give you some practical, hands-on, tangible ways that you and I can do this. Here's what it looks like for us. And here are just a couple of examples. Don't think of yourself more highly as you ought. That's part of doing this. Use the gifts that God's given you to serve others. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Show hospitality. Well, if we keep going... We get up to 13. The, the 13 is just a, chapter 13 is just a continuation of, here are practical examples of this. In fact, let me show you the words that come right before 13.1. Paul writes, bless those who persecute you. Unless you think Paul is an idealist, who was the Roman emperor during, poem, or during this time when Paul's writing this? Nero. Look up Nero sometime. Paul, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Reap, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. This is the government that crucified Jesus. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
That's Romans 12, 21. Romans 13, 1 comes next. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. On the back of your notes, I wrote an extended quote here. This is an example of what one of many commentators says about Romans 13. They said, don't take it out of context. You gotta, you gotta take the flow of thinking, and N.T. Wright does a much better job than I could of summarizing this. Here's a teaser from this more extended, um, extended quote that I put in your notes. Uh, one of the commentators, N.T. Wright, he says this about this passage now that, we're, that we've been looking at, Romans 13, one through seven. Paul believes, this commentator says, that Jesus is the true Lord of the world, that his followers should not pick unnecessary quarrels with lesser lords. Isn't that good? There's a reason I typed that stuff up for you guys. That one's worth underlying. His followers, Jesus' followers, don't pick unnecessary quarrels with lesser lords. It would be a whole message series right there. What are the necessary quarrels? Because there are some, aren't there? Which are, which aren't, right? Don't pick unnecessary quarrels with lesser lords. They are indeed, the disciples of Jesus, they're indeed a revolutionary community. But if they go for the normal type of violent revolution, they'll just be playing the empire back at its own game. They, they, they will almost certainly lose, and much worse, the gospel itself will lose with them. Now, I just want to hit pause for just a second. Someday I want to come back to Romans 13 and talk about what this implications are for nations. We're, but we're not talking about that now. We're talking about as individuals right now, okay? So we just have to kind of let go. What does this mean for military? What does this mean for police officers? We have to put that on the side because that would take a whole lot of time, right? But what does it mean for individuals? May I present to you that whether it's something as small as paying your taxes or something as significant as not taking the law into your own hands as an individual. What are we called to do here? We're called to overcome evil with good. And that seems insane as a strategy to overcome injustice, doesn't it? It seems absolutely insane because we know what injustice looks like. And as individuals, you know, what it does in a lot of us when we're approached with it, right? But guess what? How did these people overcome the Roman Empire with good? It worked. Not only did these individuals turn the other cheek like no one in history had done before, they fed the hungry and clothed the poor like no one had ever done before. They visited the sick and those in prison like no one had ever done before. They cared for widows and orphans like no one had ever done before. They loved one another like no one had ever done before. And by the end of the fourth century, the movement that began as this tiny group had become the official religion of the Roman Empire. They overcame evil with good. God is revealing so much in Romans 12 and 13. One of the things is this. We do our part and we let God do his. Did you hear that? We do our part in any given moment and then we trust a big God, a really big God, to do his. That's why the sign we picked for this day today is that yield sign right there. That's the sign we picked today because this is ultimately the message of Romans. Will you yield everything? 
completely to this God, this one-of-a-kind God? Will you yield everything? In context, the verses we read from Romans 13, 1 through 7, and all the rest of the verses, they're not just about paying taxes and submitting to an authority. It is, but that's part of a bigger admonishment to yield yourself completely to God. You know, this includes yielding your own desires to seek revenge, your desires to break the law, your desires to even cheat on your taxes. But if that government, if that same government ever says, you need to make a decision, are you going to proclaim Jesus as Lord or are you going to proclaim us as Lord? Who do we choose? Jesus is Lord. Even if that costs you your very life. But here's the thing. There's so much more, and I hope I can articulate this well. God, help us articulate this well. There's more in 13 than just a hard word, isn't there? There's so much more than a hard word. There's so much more here than, hey, everybody, buck up. Let's go. Come on. Let's do it. Whatever it costs, let's go. There's so much more. There is hope here. There's huge hope in Romans 13. That's why I said this is such a significant verse. Please either write this down or, or, or consider these words. Even disobedient nations like Israel was, Egypt was, Rome was, they were God's what? Servants. Rome was God's servant. How does that work? How much more is God able to bless the actions of individuals who serve him what? Willingly. Show of hands. How many of you are facing something beyond your personal control? Think a little more if your hand's not up. Because we are, aren't we? We're constantly, right? We are constantly facing things beyond our control. It's not until you get the call from the doctor. It's not until you get the call from the relative. It's not until you have, you're in a plane that the pilot is locked out of the cockpit until you realize, whoa, not as much control of my life as I thought. We are always in these situations where we are in situations beyond our personal control. And there is amazing, not just good, there is amazing news from Scripture that the God of the Bible is a God who removes and sets up kings. And even in a sin-filled, rebellious world, God's ultimate plans will come to pass. Can I get an amen? Long before, listen, long before we ever get to Romans 13, you think Paul was just throwing this stuff in just because he didn't have enough to say. Long before we ever get to Romans 13, Paul has made a case that God not only raised up Israel, God is great enough to weave Israel's disobedience into his story. And long before we ever got to Romans 13, Paul takes lengths to explain how the nation of Egypt, in its idolatry, in its slavery, Egypt was used and woven into God's story as well. Do you think the Roman Empire caught God by surprise? No. In fact, I wish we had more time. Someday we got to take, take on Daniel, the book of Daniel. And it would be an interesting one to take on right now. The book of Daniel, the book of Daniel was written hundreds of years before the book, the book of Romans. Hundreds of years and yet Daniel predicts the nations that were to come with such accuracy that skeptics look at the book of Daniel and they say Daniel could have never been written when it was written because it's too precise as to what comes next. 
In that same book, this book of Daniel, that predicted the rise and fall of the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans, in that same book, Daniel says this. This is from Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. Blessed is the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons and say this next verse with me. He removes kings and sets up kings. He is a God who removes kings and sets up kings. Rome's defiance was no match for God's sovereignty. Can I get another amen on that? Think of this. You've got Jesus, the servant, who willingly is laying down his life. That makes sense that God can work through that. But while that's happening, you've got this disobedient nation. And what are they doing? They sentence Jesus to death. Jesus died, is sentenced to death by a Roman governor. His execution was carried out by Roman soldiers. And Jesus dies on a Roman cross. And as Rome is walking in disobedience, they're fulfilling biblical prophecies. How crazy is that? That literally, that is where my short circuits start kicking in. How does that all work? And it gets even better. The gospel was then spread on whose roads? Roman roads. The gospel was spread on whose ships? Roman ships. Who ultimately took Paul to Rome? The Roman soldiers. Take a look at this. Even in their disobedience, the, the nation of Rome was God's servant. How did Paul view himself? I never noticed this before. Look, let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 1, word 3, at least in English. Paul describes himself as what? A servant of Christ Jesus. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. And don't put this slide up on the screen yet, but, but later we're going to be asking this question, what kind of servant are you going to be? Are you going to be a servant who, who willingly disobeys God and God works despite you? Or are you going to be a servant who willingly submits to God's plans and purposes? When Paul wrote Romans 1.1, he had never been to Rome before. And I can't remember, I'm not a historian, I can't remember when Paul first goes to Rome, but I know one of the times he went to Rome, when he got sentenced by Roman authorities, got taken by Roman soldiers, got put in a Roman prison, and then was killed, executed, as his master was, by the Roman government. And Paul could do all of that with hope. This is why this matters. Paul could do all that with hope. Do you think now in eternity, Paul's looking back and saying, God, you took me out too soon. Can you imagine what I could have accomplished if you just let me go? You know, Paul's able to look back and go, God, you had this all in control. And I can let myself be poured out like a drink offering. Yield my life because it's you. And I will willingly submit to you in plenty or in need, in good or in bad, when things look like they're going well and this church is growing and people are coming to Christ, people are getting healed, or when I'm sitting in a prison and I just got Timothy and Luke you know, left and it looks like everything's failed. 
Paul could trust Jesus because Jesus was crucified by Rome and he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. So now, let me ask you this question one more time. What kind of servant do you want to be? Will God accomplish his purposes in spite of your disobedience like he did with Israel, Egypt, and Rome? Or will you follow in the footsteps of Paul and his master Jesus who served God willingly? Here's how we expressed it in your notes if you want to write this down. Are you willingly yielding to the God who removes and sets up kings? Can we just get real right now? This is hard to do, isn't it? And it's so easy to forget. Because we live in a culture, we are surrounded, we are in a culture where we wouldn't use these words, but here's the reality. We expect God to be our servant, don't we? How many of our prayers are all about petitions? God, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Hosanna, save us now. It's as if we expect God to be our servant. Does he invite us to put our petitions? Yes. In fact, there are scriptures that say you have not because you ask not. That's not my point. My point is don't turn God into something he's not because you won't succeed. Are you willing to be like Jesus who said, not my will but yours be done? Are you willing to go there as he does? And again, it's so easy. We just get pulled out of that constantly, don't we? Get pulled out of that. I, I, I was convicted um, service one while the kids were doing the palm processional thing. I, I was really convicted because I, you know, so often we go, okay, if I was there at that time at the place, I'd be all Jesus, go, Jesus, go, Jesus, go. Would we? Would we have even recognized that Jesus was the Messiah? When you look at our own track record, how often are we looking for what God is doing around us day by day? Right? I mean, I, I fail at this miserably. I probably failed 18 times today that I'm not even aware of, but I know last night I was failing at this. We, we took our family down to a concert. There was a great concert down at the Target Center. Chris Tomlin was down there. Anyone, was anyone else there? First service, some people were. You guys even got to sleep in. Come on. Anyway, there, it was a, <laughs> there was a bunch of, it was great. There was 10,000, 11,000, I don't know how many people. The Target Center is full of all these people. Great concert. Well, I'm on my way to the concert, right? You know, going to a Christian concert. I'm on my way there, and we're on Washington trying to turn on First Avenue. And the light would turn green. We had a green arrow, which means we got to go. And it would stay green for a second and a half, and that person in the front of the line wouldn't even move, right? You know, and then they had blocked off. Who blocked? You have two lanes of traffic. Who blocks off one of the lanes and put parking? We're, I'm, so I am just... Are you kidding me? And in, with my wife sitting in the seat right next to me, with my minor children in the back of our car, I am all ready to give the one-finger salute to all those people in front of us. They're like, come on, it's our turn, people. You know. So this is all welling up inside of me over something that stupid. Well, my spanking came in the concert. In the concert... Um, there were a couple bands that opened up, and I'm like, why in the world would you have three bands? Come on, what, what? you don't need to have three bands. Who is, who is 10th Avenue North anyway? And, and, and Ren Collective, what kind of name is that? I don't even, so, so, so I don't know these bands. I'm like, just, just Chris Tomlin, just Garth it, man. You got 18,000 songs, let's just, but okay. So that's not in the notes, um, if you're wondering. So, but, but it was during the 10th Avenue North thing. I just got spanked. Um, they had a song called Stars in the Night, which I had never heard before. And before they sang their song, they said, hey, let's try something. 
let's let if you have a flat a, a phone that has a little flashlight feature i'm like oh i got one of those and i turned it where my screen gets white and my daughter my 10 year old daughter's like dad that's not the light <laughs> oh i don't have one of those lights but but they said we want here's what i want to show you we want you just to do this turn on that light because we want to we want to show you in a dark world the dark world cannot overcome light and we want you just to see what it looks like when when lights start popping up in the darkness so while, while what you're about to see was going on, these are the words to the song. You'll actually start to hear them kick in after about 30 seconds. The words are this, Alleluia, which is another Hebrew word, like Hosanna is. What is does anyone know what Alleluia means? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're running to you. We're on fire from the what? The mercy in your eyes. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies a living sacrifice. We're on fire from that mercy in your eyes. And through the dark, we're going to sing, we are yours, and your love is going to lead us through the fight. Here's what it looked like in the Target Center. Did you turn up the music, Jeff? saying something that to us seems as simple as pay your taxes if everybody's paying their taxes if everyone's honoring one another before themselves when we start doing these things that may seem insignificant to us and we're doing them together what does it do in a dark world it's not about you it's not about me, and it's all about me, and it's all about you. It's, it's all of these things together. It's about being obedient to the God who died on the cross for us and trusting that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and there's a bigger picture, and nothing that you're going through is catching, you by, catching him by surprise. That's what it's about. And I thought about, I'm walking out now of the Target Center after moments like this with my kids, and we're on First Avenue on Saturday night. Anyone ever been down to First Avenue on Saturday night? Dark place, isn't it? And it's sad, and it's tragic. And you're looking for all these people who are looking for things, and they're not looking in the right places for the things that they're looking for. They're not going to find love in the ways that they think they're gonna find love and they're not gonna find significance in the way they're gonna find significance in all those other bands, I don't know about all of them, many of those other bands where it's all about me. The spotlight was all about me instead of helping people experience something like this. What if every one of us in that concert, whether it's in a stupid line to turn or at a restaurant or whatever, what if we're all doing this, those little moments that God puts in our way? What if all of us are saying, no, you go in first, instead of me going first? You know, what, what if? When I was um, in El Paso once, I, we've got a relationship with a children's home in Juarez, and one time when I was in El Paso, I was getting tools and supplies back and forth from El Paso into Juarez. And so I remember distinctly, one day, I've got two of those dollies, those big 
dollies. And, and I've got one of them trying to push this way and one I'm trying to pull, and they're both filled with building supplies, tools, all these things. I get up to the line, and the guy looks at me, and he says, oh, you must be with a church. And I just did that. I smiled. Because that guy didn't come to that conclusion because of one little light, did he? He came to that conclusion because he saw person after person after person who was willing to lay down their life and to serve as Christ taught us to serve. It may seem like I'm just, I'm just getting some stuff across the border here for my friends. You start multiplying the effect of that, it changes this world. But now let me raise the challenge level because Paul did, Jesus did. This is more than just taxes. This is more than just being nice to your server at a restaurant. This is more than just keeping your fingers, all four of them together <laughs> on the wheel instead of extending one towards the sky, right? When you're in a turn lane. This is more than that. And it was interesting, the very next song that they sang, 10th Avenue North, this band that I didn't think should have been there, um, they, now I do, obviously, um, listen to the words, because let's up the challenge level. This goes beyond just, you know, again, taxes and, and that type, not spreading gossip. What about if you are in the hospital and you've got that news that what you have is inoperable? And we've got a, um, Jeannie Osgood is in Duluth right now because she got a call this week that her dad had a heart attack and then two days later is dead. And um, imagine that. And others of you, you're facing all kinds of things. You've got people in your family who are walking away from Jesus rather than closer to him. And, and I could go on and on. And we have our brothers and sisters, Christians in Iran and Syria right now who literally are getting guns pointed to their head who literally are getting everything stripped away simply because they won't deny Christ. So now let's raise the challenge. And here's the next song, right? Now these words take on deeper because these people are crying out. And when you get to this place, you might be crying out, God, let me see redemption win. Let me know that the struggle ends, that you can mend a heart that is frail and torn. And I want to know that a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life because that's all dead. I, I want to know that all that's dead inside can be reborn because I'm worn. And there are times where you're going to need to remind me of that. And there's times where I remind you of that, that there is going to be a day when redemption Amen. And there's going to be a day when the struggle ends. And there's going to be a day when God wipes that last tear from the eye of every one of the saints. And how can I say that with conviction? Because there's an empty tomb that testifies to that fact. And the people that put him were the nation of Rome. They could not stop Jesus even by killing him and his disciples. And if the God who removes and sets up kings could conquer death and the grave as Rome executed his son, what could he do in and through all of us if we yielded our lives willingly and we start doing that, not with little devices, with our lives? How about we pray about that before we go our separate ways? Would that be good? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you I want to thank you for these moments that you put in our lives that test us and purify us, 
that are opportunities for us to willingly be used by you to bring light to a dark world. And Lord, I, I thank you that you're this God of grace who even when we fail to shine as we should, it won't be wasted. You're going to find a way, a way that you prepared all along to take even what the enemy intended for evil and bring good from it. God, we don't want to be your servants by default. We want to be your servants by design. And so, Lord, we pray right now in this moment that your spirit would fill us, that we may willingly yield our lives to you, that our minds may be transformed so we even begin to see with greater clarity what it looks like to yield to you in any given moment. And Lord, I want to thank you for this church family, that we are a group that more and more and more we can look to each other and say, brother, sister, we're in this together. And we can be reminded and be the reminders of your amazing grace. God, especially this week, don't let us waste this opportunity to reflect deeply on your cross every day of the week, but especially on Friday, and to celebrate you every day, but especially this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to continue any of these discussions or have someone pray for you, there's people that would love to pray with you right over there on the side of the room. Otherwise, hope to see some of you on Friday and on Sunday. God bless you. Have a great week.